Hello, and welcome to the All Souls Forum. My name is Bill Pierce, and I'm the program and producer of the All Souls Forum. I'm here today because I think that this program deserves your financial support. The All Souls Forum offers a platform for the discussion of significant issues. Guest speakers typically focus on local and national issues of social justice, political, moral, educational, or artistic significance. This is a locally produced program, and we think it is important because of what it adds to our mission. That is, it provides our listeners with a viewpoint that may be overlooked, suppressed, or underrepresented on corporate or even public radio stations. Free Speech Week is October 17th through 23rd this year. This national event recognizes free speech and press in the United States. And KKFI is having our pledge drive during Free Speech Week. If free speech is important to you, donating to KKFI is an effective way to demonstrate your commitment. Good information comes at a cost. We would really appreciate your support of this program. You can call now at 1-888-931-0901, or if you prefer, you can donate online at www.kkfi.org and click the Donate button. That's 1-888-931-0901 to call in your donation, or www.kkfi.org to donate online. And now, here is this week's edition of the All Souls Forum. Good morning, everyone. To all of you here and all of you streaming online, welcome to the All Souls Community Forum, coming to you from All Souls Unitarian Universalist Church in Kansas City, Missouri. I'm Joe Robertson, a member of this church and a member of the Forum Committee, supporting this forum that for nearly 80 years has been providing our community a platform to explore and discuss the most compelling issues of our day. So today we are excited to have Dr. Jennifer Collier, the interim superintendent of the fully accredited Kansas City Public Schools. Dr. Collier has been through it all in her what, 22 years uh, with KCPS, playing an integral role in the district's achievement of full accreditation, uh, which she now gets to see from the top. So uh, Dr. Collier, welcome to the forum. Good morning, and thank you for having me. I'm going to take the microphone off so I can kind of move around a little bit and just be able to look back at the slides. So um, I'm Dr. Jennifer Collier, the interim superintendent with Kansas City Public Schools. And there you have it, um, who I am summed up in just a few bullet points. Of course, there's a lot more to who I am, but uh, born and raised on the Kansas City, Kansas side. And I graduated from Sumner Academy, which is sort of like the twin to uh, Lincoln Academy on this side of of, um, of the state. Um, I attended University of Kansas, really proud of my uh, Jayhawks. I don't know if we have any Tigers in the house, <laughs> but it's rock chalk Jayhawk for me all the way. A little bit disappointed about our football loss yesterday, though. We were on a nice winning streak there. But then I attended University of Avila um, for my master's degree and then my educational specialist and doctorate from University of Missouri, Kansas City. I've been with Kansas City Public Schools now for 22 years. And as you can see, I've served in a number of capacities. So I have had an opportunity to see our school district from many different vantage points. But I would say probably the most important of all of those positions was the role of teacher. And I did that for 10 years. I had an opportunity to interface immediately with students 
students each and every day. And that was probably one of the uh, most enjoyable jobs that I had, but also one of the most challenging jobs that I had. Um, but I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I really enjoyed working directly with our children each and every day. And then that last bullet, I am a woman of faith. And so I have a lot of belief. And when I say that I'm a woman of faith in relation to my work, I believe that we are able to achieve great things in Kansas City Public Schools. I believe that our children are brilliant. And I believe that they, that they are able to reach high levels and that if we have high expectations for them, that we can achieve great things together. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about our about our theme, uh, Dare to Believe. This school year, we're saying that we dare to believe that we can and we will. And as you um, heard, we are fully accredited. And now that we've overcome that hurdle and we've gained full accreditation, we know, thank you, we know that there's so much more that we still need to achieve. Um, it's, it's not a, a time for us just to stop and to um, praise ourselves. We are proud of what we've done, but we know that there's a lot more work that needs to be done. This doesn't want to stay on. And then our academic focus for the year, I'm going to talk a little bit about that as well. And then finally, Blueprint 2030. So this theme, Dare to Believe, as I was speaking earlier um, about daring to believe, is really important that we challenge our beliefs and we reflect about um, ourselves as educational practitioners. What is it that we really believe about our children? Do we believe that they can achieve at high levels? Do we believe that our students can truly be readers, writers, and effective communicators? That is something that I truly believe, and I'm trying to spread and share that belief with others in our school system. As we talked about accreditation, we have um, reached that goal. But when I look at the data, it says to me that we still have work to do. And so we're looking at how we can really focus on literacy this year. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment as I move into our five big rocks for the school year. There are five things that we're focusing on this school year in order to really serve our students well and our families. That very first piece is literacy. We all know that this is a critical um, component for education and for our children. And it really will help determine the trajectory of our students' lives. If we ensure that they are readers, writers, and effective communicators, it opens the doors to so many opportunities for them. And we know that when they leave our doors, if they are not, then the trajectory of their lives is greatly limited. And so we have a moral obligation to ensure that all of our children are have high-level literacy instruction and that we are moving them in that direction in terms of being um, literate. And so this is a primary focus, and we are putting a lot of resources this year into literacy. Math is another area when we look at our data that we know that we have to continue to grow. Um, however, we believe that a lot of the, the math concerns we're see, we are seeing are associated with literacy. And so um, those two pieces are really tied together. How do we ensure our students are readers? And then how do we make sure that they are equipped with the skills to be able to perform in math as well? That third piece is culturally responsive teaching and practices. And this is really important in KCPS. When we look at our student demographics, our students, um, 90% students of color, 24% of our students are students that uh, speak English as a second language. Um, and then we, about 12% of our students have uh, special needs. And so being culturally responsive is really about understanding the identity and the culture of our children and making sure that we fully embrace it and then we leverage it in 
the classroom for learning. There is a social emotional component tied to the culturally responsive work, but there's also a very uh, intellectual and academic component. That's what we're looking at this year. How do we ensure that as we are addressing social emotional needs, that we are embracing our children, that we are lifting them up, we're encouraging them, we're affirming them. How do we then also ensure that they are growing and moving academically? And that's what this culturally responsive teaching and practices is really all about. This year, we are doing a book study across our system. Every position in our school system is a part of the book study, doesn't matter what position you hold, superintendent, our teachers, our principals, our bus drivers, our cafeteria workers, our custodians, and then even folks in the community. We have several community forums that we have um, set up so that community members who are wanting to learn more about what it means to be culturally responsive can come and be a part of this study with us. This is sort of our ground zero year. We're learning together. What does it mean to be culturally responsive? And we're trying to do this in a way that it doesn't intimidate people and people don't have to to feel ashamed because they don't really understand it. We're learning together. That's something we're emphasizing as a system, that we are a school system of educators, but we're also learners. There's so much that we, we continue to learn each and every day. And one of those things is really about our children and the families that we serve. How do we connect with them so that we can really move them at the students academically, but also include the families and the parents and the caregivers in that process? Then we have that social emotional wellness piece. And we know that this has been um, really important over the last few years, but even more so after the pandemic. Um, when we came back from the pandemic, we noticed that the social emotional needs heightened. Um, we saw more needs in places where we didn't see them um, before. And so we have directed many more resources into our schools around our um excuse me, around our restorative justice work. We have restorative justice coordinators in our buildings working with our children. We have social workers in the building working with children. And I and it's really not just children because when you think about it, many of the adults um, in our buildings who have also went through the pandemic came back with a lot of trauma as well. And so we know that they cannot pour out of empty cups. So we have to ensure that we are meeting the needs of the adults in our buildings as well. And so we have a, a lot of resources now, I'm proud to say, in our buildings to help support our staff and our students and families around social emotional wellness. And then that last piece, this is probably one of the most important pieces that I think we have a lot of room to grow in this, how we engage with our parents and our families. Excuse me. This year, we also directed some resources to every building where every um, school building in our district has a family and community engagement liaison. And so that person in each of those buildings, their sole responsibility is to work to connect families and the communities to our schools. And so we're seeing um, just from that investment already, um, the good things that are happening, families being more, feeling more welcomed. We recently had our first DAC meeting of the year and where we would normally have maybe seven to 10 parents. We had a room of, of about 75 parents present, and that would happen because of the work of our family and community engagement liaisons. And so we're going to continue to lean into them as they work to do activities in their schools, but also things that we can do district wide to really welcome and bring our families in. Um, one, of, one of the other pieces under the parent and family engagement is part of the vision is the creation of a Parent Empowerment Center. And that Parent Empowerment Center will hold 
excuse me, just about every resource that a family or a parent may need. In that resource center, we intend to have a food pantry, clothing pantry, and we have many of those in our schools already. But we also want to have other resources, social emotional supports. We also want to have a laundromat for our students in transition, our homeless students and families that may not have anywhere to go to wash clothing. And other families could utilize it as well, but we definitely want to make sure that we're providing that for our homeless families. Um, we're also looking at, uh, excuse me, having adult literacy classes. So when we talk about literacy, is not just for our students. We want to make sure that we're equipping our parents and our families as well so that they are better positioned to support their children. And so we want to make sure that we're supporting the adults in our community. Um, and so there's going to be a lot that will be in that parent family engagement center. Um, that's not everything, but I can I have a whole list of things that will be entailed in the parent, parent Empowerment Center. And it's just our way of letting our parents and families know that they are important to us and they are important, a very important integral part of the educational process. We can't do this work alone. And we say that in our school, in our um, strategic plan, that schools can't do the work alone. We need community, but we also need our families to be engaged. So now let's move into Blueprint 2030. Uh, many of you have probably been hearing about Blueprint 2030. Um, there's um, on October 12th, this Wednesday coming, um, there will be some recommendations made to our board. And unfortunately, when Blueprint 2030 originally rolled out, it rolled out sort of as a facilities plan or a school closure plan. Um, that will be a byproduct of, of, the, of the plan and the process. However, the most important part of this, this is all about academic achievement and our student experience. That's what this is for. So when we look at our school system, we know that we have many more buildings open and seats available than we have students, which means we're directing resources in many different directions, and we're not really getting the biggest bang for our buck. We're not really providing all of the programming that we want to have in our schools, the courses that we want to have, the experiences, because monies are being directed in many different directions into very small schools. So we're going to have to address that issue, those inefficiencies within our school system. We have to address that. And so a part of that will be the closing and consolidation of some of our schools, but it is for the purpose of academic achievement, making sure that our, that we are providing a very robust educational experience for our children. When we think about what children are getting in other school systems, we want to make sure that our children here in Kansas City are getting the same. We don't want to shortchange them. And so we have to make this very difficult decision and this process is, is going to be somewhat painful. We know that, but we know that the outcome is what we're looking at. That's going to be very important, how this will impact our children in, in this community. Um, a little bit about what's a part of the Blueprint 2030 plan. So we're looking at full expansion of curricular resources um, for our children. And then one of the things I really want to point out that I that is really dear, near and dear to my heart, that is the foreign language, instrumental music, and the science labs in all of our elementary schools. And I taught, as I said, for 10 years, I was a music teacher. And I love music and I know what music meant to me. I know the power of music and how it really helps me, even with the um, academic things that I did at Sumner Academy and in college, having that music was therapy for me and it was support. And it was also my place of belonging. I believe many children need that opportunity to lean into the arts. Um, not all children want to play sports. 
We want to make sure we expand sports as well. But some children are going to lean into the arts. That's their place of belonging. That's where they thrive. And so we have not been providing that consistently across the district where children are have access to instrumental music or foreign language. And we're looking at instituting those two at the kindergarten level so that every child that comes into KCPS will be exposed to instrumental music in foreign language. Now, as they matriculate through our school system, they may make a decision that maybe um, the music is not for me. That's okay. But we want to make sure that they're at least exposed to that if that's something that they have an inclination for and can really thrive in. Um, and then also that those science labs, we know that's important as we increase in the area of STEM. We're already doing some things in our schools through our, our iSpark classes, but we want to enhance that and make sure that our students have full uh, experiences in our science classrooms. And so we are going to have dedicated science labs in all of the elementary schools. We're also looking at project-based learning. And really what that is, is it's an experiential uh, type of learning, hands-on. Students are doing, not just sitting and getting. They're not just sitting and filling out um, worksheets. They're actually doing the researching. They're working and collaborating in groups. They're presenting. They're finding solution and answers to real-world problems and issues. This is where we're wanting to move uh, in that project-based learning. And then finally, um, more equitable student experiences with across our school system, making sure that we, that some schools aren't providing more than others. Currently, when we look at our high schools, well, actually this year we have we've actually remedied this, but last year we did not provide world language in all of our high schools. This year we are. So we've started at the secondary level, making sure that world language is available at the high school level, and then we're going to move that into our elementary. But what I want to want to say about this, tied to all of this, is. Um, I really have a passion for making sure that our children have the very best. I want our children to have new buildings. So when we think about the kind of learning that I'm talking about, the project-based learning, we also have to look at our facilities, our buildings. Well, are our buildings designed and set up to help us achieve that? Many of our buildings are very old, some over 100 years. We've not passed a bond since 1967. We have lots of deferred maintenance in our buildings. And so when we think about that, it's time for us to, to give our students the quality facilities. When our children go to other school systems for debate, for competitions, for various clubs, they're seeing the facilities that other children are in. And I wonder to myself, what is the message that we're sending What is it they're, that they're thinking? They may never verbalize it. They may never say it. What are their thoughts when they go into other school districts just right around this area in the suburbs and they see these state-of-the-art buildings and then they come back to our buildings? It's time now for us for us to invest in our children. And I want buildings that will help facilitate these academic um, strivings that we have. We can achieve a lot um, in, in accomplishing these things, but I want to have buildings that will help us do that. I want buildings with maker spaces and buildings where students and, and staff members can collaborate, places for people to work together and to solve issues. And so this is where we're moving as a school system. Let me keep going because I know there may be time, um, you may want time for questions. So I talked a little bit already about the, the learning, the student achievement. We're looking at STEAM for all of our elementary schools. So that's the science, technology, engineering, and we're adding in the arts and math. 
Um, we're also looking at the, at the culturally responsive teaching, the project-based learning. When we look at the secondary level, because I didn't talk about that, we're looking at career pathways in all of our high schools. And then we're also looking at how we can move toward a competency-based learning model where there's a lot more flexibility for children. So they're not locked into those, that standard nine weeks or even the standard hours in the day, but it's more about comp um, competency around standards and where children can take the time they need to master standards or if they master them sooner, they can then move on to new content. And so it, it's really a tailor-made um, type of learning model that we're wanting to move toward. And I'm really excited that even at the state level, there's a lot of conversation around what that looks like. So we're not moving in that direction alone. Um, the state is even working on, Bessie's looking at how we can achieve this in high schools across the state of Missouri. And I do believe that this is the right way to go because our children um, have different needs in different places. And so we want to make sure that we are actually meeting their needs and we're not designing school-based on what we've experienced and how we think it should look, but that we're actually designing it in a way that meets the needs of children and families. And then that support we talked about already, the, the trauma informs. We also have um, conflict resolution training that's happening in all of our middle schools this year. That's something else that I'm really excited about. We've done that with all of our staff, but we've also are now looking at for our middle school children, how can we also help them, equip them with the skills to be able to resolve issues together, to work together, to um, de-escalate when there are um there's a crisis or an issue going on between students, how can they learn how to de-escalate? And so we are taking all of our middle school students through this process of conflict resolution this year. And then we talked about the expanded extracurricular activities. We do want to expand our sports offerings as well. We want to offer, offer sports that we typically have not offered here in the urban core. We want to make sure, once again, that our children are exposed to all types of extra, extracurricular activities. And children have told us they're interested in tennis. They're also interested in archery. So we're going to look at how we can provide some of those opportunities for our children in KCPS. And, of course, the world language and the uh, fine arts offerings. And then looking at people, I think this is probably one of the most important pieces, because unless we have staff, it's going to be very difficult to achieve all of this. And I'm sure many of you all have seen in the news that we are in the middle of a national teacher shortage. But the truth is, we have been marching this direction for a very long time. Even before the pandemic, we could see how there was a decline in students that were choosing um, education as their field when they would enter into college. Fewer and fewer students are choosing education. And this has been happening for decades. But we're now at a place where everyone is recognizing that we are in a national teacher shortage. And so we are looking at how we can grow our own. Um, we have um, an up and running uh, Grow Your Own program through our CTE department, which we're very excited about. And what we're looking at is how we can elevate education, how we can make it a desirable field. And so some of the thoughts that I have is when, when we have athletes that sign on to colleges, they have signing days. And everyone, they have balloons and the families come and students are there and everyone's celebrating. Well, let's do that for the students that are signing to go into education, who've gotten scholarships to become educators. We want to just celebrate and, ed and really elevate um, education so that more of our students are choosing this field. 
We're also looking at how we can grow our own staff. We have quite a few staff members who are some of our classified staff, paraprofessionals, um, cafeteria workers, others who are interested in becoming teachers, but for whatever reason have had barriers. And so we have designed a program now where we're working with several universities to grow our own educators from our classified staff as well. And then that system, just looking across the system, making sure that we have um, addressed all of our inefficiencies. We're also looking at the expansion of pre-K because we believe that as we can get more children coming in in the earlier levels, the earlier ages, we're able to better equip them for um, the K through 12. Um, we're also, once again, looking at our facilities, how we can have facilities that help really facilitate what we want to see in terms of academics and learning. And then that bond, that's going to be very important for us. Um, in the next couple of years, we will be coming to the community um, to ask for a bond. And we believe that this is going to be critical um, to what we're trying to achieve as a school system. And so um, I'm happy to be here today to share this information. And I would love to have your support as we move in this direction and really provide a world-class education for the children in Kansas City. Questions or comments? For listening to Dr. Jennifer Collier. Uh, thank you, Dr. Collier. And uh, I'm superintendent, interim superintendent of the Kansas City Public Schools. And I also want to let you know about next Sunday's forum. We will have UMKC School of Law professor and constitutional expert, uh, Alan Rostron, and he will be talking about how we can fix the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay, so now to, we, have, we have a question. Ready to go. All right. It's very impressive for what you're doing. Um, would you address the issue of uh, transgender students and and supporting them with their complications? Sure. Well, in Kansas City Public Schools, we have what is called an equity policy. It's our policy 0.0. .0. And that equity policy is, is about ensuring that everyone in our community, regardless of who they are, um, whatever differences, whether it's race, gender, um, religion, whatever it is that it may be, that we are making sure that there's a level playing field for all. And so we are fully supporting transgender students um, in our buildings. We're trying to make sure that we have um, the facilities that they wouldn't want for restroom and things like that. And when I was a principal, I actually um, dealt with a transgender uh, student in my building. And it was relatively new for our school system, but I'm proud of the work that we did and working through working with our family, uh, making sure that we were um, hearing their needs, what they wanted to, to see happen in the school, making sure that their student felt safe. But also I think some of that too is about how we um, educate our children around how we treat one another, how we respect one another. So while we have this equity policy, we're also doing some uh, character education work this year as well. And that very first um, feature for August and September was about sense of belonging. And that work was done to ensure that our children, our staff, and our families, everyone understands that everyone in our community belongs. There's a place for everyone. And so it's really about continuing that education with our staff and our students. I think that somewhere I heard that you had like 90 different language groups within the school district. So could you talk about the mechanics of adjusting to 90 different uh, language groups? How do you plug that into what happens to these students when they get into the classroom? Can you talk about that? Yes. Um, yes, we have. I'm not sure if it's 90. 
I think the last that I've heard is more like 50 to 60, but um, every day new languages or new dialects are coming into our school system. And so um, I'm really proud of our English language services department, um, who has done a phenomenal job of, of making sure that we have supports in place for our families of, uh, that speak various languages. One of the things, I'm not sure if you all have had an opportunity to visit our global academy and our newcomer, our KCPS newcomer center. We have a place that's designated for families that are brand new to America, making sure that we have translators on site to help them uh, enroll their students in school, but also to help those families if the parents are looking for a lot of applications, navigate the community for housing. Um, we have lots of support in place for our newcomer families. Um, but within the classrooms, we have um, translators. But for our students that are brand new and really just becoming uh, acclimated to the to America, they actually attend our global academy where they have teachers and translators on site that help support them and help to teach them English as we and also acclimate them to uh, the community here. So. Thank you for being here, and I was glad to see music up here, but I was wondering why vocal music was not in part of the list, because I think it would be very fine to make, encourage all your foreign language classes and whatever, put, have the children sing it as well as playing, and, and I couldn't teach in an, uh, in a room with a bunch of whistles, yes. uh, um, but singing they all know how to sing. Yes. Only a very few cannot. And they can sing, they can talk in rhythm or something together, kind of on a monotone, but but mm -hmm. you need vocal music in there. I totally agree. And we currently have vocal music and that is being taught in our schools um, with our music teachers. So we're going to continue that. And I, I completely agree. I was a choral vocal music teacher. So that is very important. And I believe a lot of learning can happen through music. I feel like I did that in my classroom and I feel like we don't use um, music enough to help children learn. Um, a lot of the things that they remember is, is through music and the connections they make through music, but even the other arts. So we are going to continue the vocal choral music and then we're adding on the instrumental music because that's what's been missing. And then when you think about Paseo Academy, our... Um, School for the Performing Arts, we've really struggled to have students ready to perform at that level because we're not offering music and instrumental music at the younger ages. So by the time they get into high school, we don't have enough students to really have the kind of program that we want. But we believe that through this, as we see our children matriculate through our schools, by the time they get into high schools, we will have a full, robust performing arts program. And I really think that's necessary when you think about Kansas City. And all the arts that are in this community, this is a community rich in the arts. And there's no reason why the children of Kansas City Public Schools are merely observers or consumers of the art. They should be full participants in that. And we have an obligation to make sure that they're prepared to do that if that's what they choose. I agree it's very important that our community support our public education through bonds, but it's been over 40 years since one's been passed. What's the strategy to have a different outcome this time? Well, we are just starting our conversations about the bond. Um, we are really hopeful that with the passage of the full accreditation, that puts us in a much better position in terms of perception with the community and the work that we're doing. Um, also, I think through some of our continued strategic planning, including the community and those conversations, I believe that that will be helpful as well. And so right now we're just doing a lot of engagement with community, sharing what we're doing, 
Also, I think the important work that we're doing around Blueprint 2030, kind of making some tough decisions for ourselves first before we ask anybody else to help us. We're going to address our own inefficiencies within. And hopefully that is a demonstration of our commitment to improving our school system. And once again, just continuing those conversations with community and allowing community and families to help us build this world-class education. This is not me. Claudine is asking about the Global Academy, where that is located. And then what is the, what is the definition of a world language? So the, um, the Global Academy is located um, in our Woodland um, Early Childhood Building. So if you are familiar with that, it is on um, right off of Independence Avenue in, in the northeast end of town. Um, and so one uh, wing of the building is, is dedicated to the Global Academy. So Woodland Elementary or Pre-K Center is where the Global Academy is located. And then world-class language, what we're looking at is, of course, the Romance languages. Um, I believe Latin is important. Um, when I was at Sumner, we all had to take Latin as that foundational language because it's the foundation of all Romance languages. But then building on that, you know, you have your French, your Spanish, your Italian, German, um, and then even some of the other languages that we don't see as frequently. At Foreign Language Academy, we have Chinese Mandarin. And so I think a lot of it will be looking at what is it that our uh, children and families desire. And so we will flex based on that, because once again, we don't want to just tell families and children, this is what you need. We want to make sure that they're a part of this conversation with us. So I, I come from a not very well-educated um, person on the school district. I had no children and lived on the Kansas side, and it's been a long time since I was in the Youth Friends program over there. So um, the CTE, I think, is an acronym you use that I'm not sure was connected to your, maybe it was the third slide, it was uh, connected to social workers, but what's this other role that you have besides the social workers? Oh, thank you for um, asking. The CTE is um, is not really connected with the social workers. That is our career technical education um, and that's where our, our students um, can can go to get licenses and um, credentials for uh, fields like construction and uh, culinary arts. And um, what are some of our programming? The uh, computer science program there, um, our cosmetology program, uh, and then also a program that we have with the, the water department. So we're expanding what our career technical programming looks like, but for some of our children who may not choose college as that pathway, they still can um, move into a career post, post high school and actually have a livable wage. And that's what we're really wanting to make sure that our children, every child that leaves is leaving career in co or college ready. So that's what that career technical education program um, will allow us to achieve. Restorative. Oh, restorative justice. I'm sorry. Yes, the restorative justice. And so this is something um, that we have started in our school several years ago, um, but it is a, a way for educators and students to really think about um, how they manage when there are disagreements or when um, an issue arises in the school. So rather than resorting to 
um, the traditional forms of discipline, suspending a child, how can we as a community restore the student back into this community? What are the responsibilities of the student who has offended others or done something they shouldn't have done? And then what is the responsibility of that community to then hold them accountable um, for what has happened? And so it's a whole training that our staff has gone through, but our students now are going through that same process. So they're learning how to manage disagreements amongst one another and then understanding how they can reconcile relationships when there has been a rift. They're being equipped with the skills to be able to practice and to do that. My children went through the Kansas City Madura Public Schools, and it's been quite some time now, but they were at Nelson Elementary when it was still open, and they one of them went to Franklin for a year, and then they went to Lincoln in high school. But I remember my oldest child, when she was at Lincoln, they went to some kind of competition of debate or speech or something of that kind that was in Jefferson City. And a number of schools had teams. And she came home and said, Mom, those other teams that there were, like on this one team, everybody was dressed in these really nice clothes. And the kids all said they had cars and all those things. And she was talking to someone in our neighborhood who came from a rich family and was talking about how, oh, well, you're going to these public schools. But anyway, what my daughter, I heard her say, have you ever known anyone who's not just like you? Have you ever known anyone who's not white and rich? And later she said to me when she was talking about the schools is, wouldn't that be awful to have to be going to one of those schools? And so she really appreciated very much the incredible variety and the number of different people that she got to know in the Kansas City School District. I love that. I think I agree. I think that is it's such a great opportunity to go to school and to work in a very diverse community because there's so much that you can learn. I remember those years of teaching that I talked about. I taught at Northeast High School, which is on the northeast end of town where there where we have oh, 50 languages. And I, I can tell you that even though I felt like I taught my students a lot, they taught me a lot as well. I learned so much about their culture and what they were bringing um, into our classroom. And I'm thankful that I recognized that the kids were bringing something too. And that, so when I, that goes back to that culturally responsiveness, understanding that our children are bringing in a wealth of knowledge and understandings. It may be different than what we have and what we have come to understand is valuable, but it is important. And so we have to tap into all that our children are bringing. And so it's a great opportunity for children to interact with one another, understanding what the world is like. But even as educators, we benefit from working in that kind of environment as well. Dr. Collier, a lot of people in Kansas City um, might not choose the Kansas City Public Schools because they're concerned that they won't get quality teachers and educators. I know this has been a thrust of the district. Can you just say a little bit about what the district has been doing to really draw some of the best talent there is in this region? 
Absolutely. Um, we know that that human capital is so important. And as I stated earlier, in Kansas City Public Schools, we started looking at this years ago. I think we kind of got a head start on people. I hear everyone talking about teacher shortage now. But like I said, this was happening um, some years ago where we were looking at the trends. And so we we started very early um, looking at how we can partner with universities in different ways. Instead of just going out to universities to their fairs, we were inviting them to come in um, to us. And we and we had days that were called Experience KCPS, where we would bring our junior and senior level level um, pre uh, candidate teachers to our district one to visit some of our schools, but also to talk to our principals and to hear from them um, what our what the culture was like, to find out what it is that they were looking for, and then just sharing the experiences between teachers in the classroom and those that were pre-service teachers. And so that was really helpful for us as well. We also have been looking at, in our school system, some of our staff who who attended universities where there are high numbers of Black and Latino um, students. And we've asked them to go back to their alma maters, to their universities, to encourage others to come work in KCPS. And so they have sometimes been our best recruiters when they go back to their home schools and they tell people about their experience teaching in KCPS. We've been able to recruit teachers that way as well. Um, But I think that the going forward, probably one of our greatest ways um, to really get our teachers is through our grow your own. But we also have to look at compensation. And and we've done a lot of work in compensation as a school system. But I, I can tell you that because we're in this shortage, everyone's fighting to raise that starting pay, which is great. We need to do it anyway. Um, but I can tell you that as soon as KCPS increases our our compensation, we see our neighbors around us follow us and they go just a little bit higher than where we are. So we're all kind of fighting for the same teachers. But I think overall, we have to figure out how do we compensate our teachers better? They have to have a livable wage because it's really challenging for them to care for the kids in the classroom when they're worried and concerned about their own livelihood and their own families and how are they going to feed their own children. When you have that kind of weight on you, it's very difficult then to give the very best of yourself in the classroom. This is probably another reason why I need to be able to have a levy increase at some point. That's right. Now, the uh, I got a, a, Zoom, a, a YouTube stream request. This is from Zoe, who I guess she's an English learner teacher at East. And okay. first of all, she points out that quite a few schools have more than 50% English language learners um, in, in the district. Now, her question is like, they still need, you need, still need support in terms of wraparound services. What are the plans to find out what these families need? For wraparound services? Yeah. Um, I think that comes once again through our engagement with the with the community as we hear from our families. I'm really just finding out what the needs are. We, as I said, we have um, enhanced and provided a lot more resources in the, the in the direction of social emotional supports. But I agree that more is needed. And so, as we engage with our students, our families, and our uh, social emotional support staff members, getting their recommendations, we will continue to look at how we can increase resources in that area. And I love to hear from Zoe. I think I know who she is, but I'd love to to hear from her to uh, just reach out and give me some suggestions on the best ways to go about doing that, because we know that we have to increase supports in that area so that we can continue to support our children. And you can also rely on Link to help you with that. The um, now here's a question that came. This is actually from More Squared. Uh, they, as you know, have been involved in the effort to get, you know, um, 
suspensions and things so you know in the lower elementary grades and, and, and the district has made a commitment to um stop ban into ban suspensions and and so the question here is like uh, what resources are being put into that uh, in the budget for that and uh, and what kind of feedback now are you getting as you start that so yeah this this was our first year to institute um no suspensions for um lower level offenses um only for offenses where students were uh, either harm to themselves or others. Um, and so we actually just reviewed that data just recently, and we're actually doing well in the area. But the one thing that that came up in the conversation is how can we make sure that we're supporting our schools? Um, so as we're retaining children in the school, how do we make sure that we're um, helping them improve in those areas of behavior and then also just supporting our teachers in this process. And so I think, once again, that's another area where we'll have to continue to visit with our principals and our teachers to talk about how best we can support them as we work to support our children. I think it's a great thing that we're doing, that we're uh, really limiting susp suspensions. We know that there's really nothing very good that comes out of suspending children and sending them home. But I agree, we have to make sure that where do we find that balance and we're continuing to support support our teachers in this process, but also equip our students with the skills that they need um, in order to avoid certain behaviors that are less than desirable. I'm so old-fashioned, it occurs to me to ask, where does the old PTA fit into all the new, new, new things that schools are trying to do? We actually have some schools um, that still have PTAs. And so what we decided to do, because um, we are looking at how we can standardize our district, but what we don't want to do is to um, discontinue something that's working and that's, that's, that's going well. So this year we, we are allowing our schools to continue PTA and then start up our um, SAC, our, our um, the, the parent family um, organization in schools. Um, right now we don't have one for every school or we did not have one for every school. And that's part of the work of that family, I always have face, Family and Community Engagement Liaisons that we have in every building, that is a part of their work this year to help us build those parent organizations in all of our buildings. And, and that's what I was talking about earlier where we had our first DAC meeting, which is the district um, level parent organization where we had about 75 uh, parents that were present this year. And it was really encouraging to have so many parents representing so many schools out for that meeting. And that's just a starting place. And I think as we get our families in, we can actually have conversation and hear more about what it is that they want to see. And as I stated earlier, I really believe that's been a missing piece for us. We've not connected with the family as much as we um, should have and, and would, what would be beneficial. But we are moving in that direction um, through those family and community engagement liaisons. They are really helping support us in that work. I'm not sure I understand the question. I'm about to give Claudine ask what happened to or where are the uh, education activities that were at the manual school? occurring in the system? Um, that is still continuing. That is the career technical education programming that I talked about earlier. Um, that is continuing. In fact, it's expanding. We're looking at how we can provide more offerings for the career in technology. And remember, I talked about earlier, not every student will choose college and that's okay. But we want to make sure that we are providing them exposure to a number of different um, professional um, options so that when they leave high school, they can move into a career if they so choose. They can leave with a license and a credential that will allow them to move right into a job. 
I got a question about book bannings. With all the book bannings going around, what is the uh, what is your uh, approach to? Maybe you've already, maybe you've already had some attempts. So, but how do you approach book bannings? <laughs> My personal opinion, or <laughs> um, well. <clears throat> I believe that that children in 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 the schools they should have access to um, to books that provide a number of different vantage points. So I guess it's clear to say I'm not a fan of book banning. Um, I, I we have not had run into a lot of issues in the school system around book banning. Um, we've gotten a couple questions about things, but I think that um, the way the book banning um, information, the stipulations that were provided. Um, we didn't have any issues with what was being asked. So there was nothing that was a concern for us. Um, however, I would hope I would hope that the book banning doesn't go any further because I know as a leader, I'm not comfortable removing books that I feel that are truthful about history um, and um, that are inclusive of all in our community. I wouldn't be comfortable with that as a leader to say that that we wouldn't have those books available for our children. That's just my personal opinion. That's not the district's position. I want to be clear. That's Jennifer Collier's position. Many years ago when my children were in school, that was a time when there were school advisory committees that were kind of the corresponding thing to a PTA in a way. But one of the things that happened is I found that we as parents needed a lot of education about things. And one of the things, I was on a school advisory committee and we were discussing when we would have meetings. And so a number of us who were coming from neighborhoods not right near where the school was said, well, we can't meet during the day. We work. We need to meet at night. And then a lot of the neighborhood parents said, we can't come. We can't come at night. We work at night. And so here we had a group of us who were working in the daytime and a group were working at night, and we had to learn to understand that we had different kinds of jobs, that our situation was different. And so we needed education, not only our children, but we needed to know more about other people. All right, we're, we're, we're kind of at the uh, at our, our time here. Uh, we're really glad to have Dr. Jennifer Collier here today. <laughs> Interim Superintendent, Kansas City Public Schools, thank you so much for your being here today. Thanks for listening to the All Souls Forum. Stay tuned for your Jazz Afternoon with KC coming up immediately, followed by the Boogie Bridge with Jason Vivoni, and then the Heartland Labor Forum at 6 p.m. Before you go, please consider donating to the KKFI Fall Fund Drive to support critical programming such as the All Souls Forum on KKFI. You can call now at 1-888-931-0901, or if you prefer, you can donate online at www.kkfi.org and click the Donate button. That's 1-888-931-0901 to call in your donation, or www.kkfi.org to donate online. Thanks for listening to and supporting KKFI 90.1 FM Kansas City Community Radio.